Good morning. I would invite you all to follow along with me as we begin reading Amos. I'm going to be reading Amos chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3 this morning, in a section entitled, Judgment on Israel's Neighbors. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tikkoah, when he, what he saw concerning Israel in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joas, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter from Beth-Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Taman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the walls of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds. With shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth, and Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and I will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Well, good morning again. My name is Chris. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here, and if I haven't met you before, then I hope I'll have that opportunity after the service today. And if you're new here, um, we normally have children's ministries during the, the school term, but in holidays, 
we have a little break from that. Uh, and if you have children and you don't have anything for them to do, there are some packs out in the foyer that you can get with some activities, so you're welcome to do that. And please know that I don't mind if children make a bit of noise. That's just children being children, and it's okay. We're family here, and we're happy to have the children with us. I'm going to um, just... Hold on one second. I'm just having a bit of trouble here, <laughs> getting my iPad to do the right thing. So soon I will be able to actually... Excellent. See what I'm meant to be saying. <laughs> okay. We're coming to a, a part of scripture that's maybe not very familiar for people. So it seems to me that a really good thing to do in that circumstance would be to start with prayer. Let's pray. Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach us now as we humbly submit to our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word of God, and seek the scriptures for wisdom and understanding. Quieten our hearts and minds that we may hear your voice as you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So because this passage is probably unfamiliar for people, um, I thought it might be helpful for us to take a bit of time before we actually look at the, the passage that Krista read for us, thank you Krista, to just, just think a little bit about Amos as a whole. So Amos, the context within the Bible, this is in the Old Testament, Earlier on in the Old Testament, you have the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, then you have books of history, uh, which is sometimes called um, the, the early prophets. Um, you have wisdom literature, and then you have what are called the major prophets, which are just long ones, and the minor prophets, uh, which generally are a bit shorter than the long ones. But the major prophets and the minor prophets are sometimes called writing prophets because these are the prophecies of different individual prophets and they bear the name of that particular prophet. So we're looking at the book of Amos, um, which obviously bears his name. Now, just to give you context in history, if you think about the, the people of Israel who had King David... Uh, was king over all of the, the tribes of Israel. That was around about 1000 BC. And then his son, King Solomon, king over all of the tribes of Israel. But then after Solomon, the kingdom split into two, the north kingdom and the south kingdom, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Now the books of the major and minor prophets are written after that split, some in the 8th century BC, so that's the 700s BC and 600s, 500s, and people think Malachi was probably written about 400 years before Jesus. There's 16 books altogether in the major and minor prophets, and 11 of those speak to the time after 722 BC, which was when 
Israel was overtaken by Assyria. Five books speak before that, uh, one of which is Jonah, which was specifically um, a book to a city called Nineveh, which is not in Israel or Judah. Hosea and Amos were ministry to Israel, the northern kingdom, and um, Isaiah and Micah were to the southern kingdom. So there's really only two books that speak to the situation of Israel, the, the northern kingdom, in this period of time leading up to when they were conquered by Assyria. Amos and Hosea speak in that period uh, of 40 or 50 years before 722. So Amos was probably written in a short period of time, one to two years, or or covering a one to two year period of ministry uh, around about maybe 760 to 746 AD. We know there's a little anchor in the, the first verse that tells us that these are the words of Amos in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. That's the second Jeroboam. I hope this is not going too, you know, (laughs) not too boring, but it's just providing some context, I guess. Now, the one thing that I want to say that's important for us to understand is that in this context... Jeroboam II, who was the the ruler, the king of Israel, he had, in human terms, a pretty uh, successful kingship. Israel had expanded to its largest state. They'd pushed back borders. They'd uh, conquered cities which were important on trade routes. And so they were materially successful as a nation. They were wealthy and at ease. And that's helpful for us to be aware of because despite the fact that they were wealthy and at ease, there was spiritual decay. Idolatry, people were being enslaved by debt, low morality, complacency about religious things, except when there was festivals to be had. They were very keen to have festivals. And I think that sounds quite similar to the culture that we live in today. And there's a lot that we can learn from this book as we consider it. Now, we've entitled this message, uh, this sermon series that's going to go for several weeks, Amos, the Unrelenting Roar. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Um, Really, this idea of of the roar of God comes through in chapter 1, verse 2. And he said, this is Amos speaking, and he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Then you have another reference in Amos chapter 3, verse 8. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken who can but prophesy. So here's this idea of God roaring like a lion. It might remind you of the Narnia Chronicles. Children, any of you seen the Narnia movies, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? 
and a lot of the adults, yes, I know the adults have probably seen them. If you haven't seen any of the Narnia Chronicle movies, I encourage you, have, have a little look. In the Narnia Chronicles, Aslan is the king. And when he roars, everything stops. There's a, a line in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, and it's, it's like a little piece of poetry. And I think in the movie, that one of the beavers utters the words to the children. It's a, it's a prophecy in the books. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. There's this picture in the Narnia Chronicles of a lion roaring, of the king roaring, and of people paying attention to that. That that's a powerful, um, it's not really a word, is it? <laughs> it's a powerful utterance. It's, it's a powerful sound. And in the scriptures, this word roar is used a number of times, usually as the idea of a lion or an animal roaring. And here it's used in that sense, but about God. The Lord roars from Zion. And it's an unrelenting roar. We've got a number of messages coming up calling for the nations, calling for God's people, calling for witnesses and, and as we go through the book you'll see that it is God who is speaking over and over again through his prophet Amos. Throughout the book um, there's the, the Hebrew word Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, the name of God that word appears 81 times in this short book. There's 146 verses in the book. 81 times the Lord's name appears. That's, on average, about once every two verses. God's name is there. Thus says the Lord, says the Lord, thus says the Lord, declares the Lord over and over and over again. God is speaking. And the messages that are coming through Amos are messages of judgment, often. And we might think, well, this is, this is very depressing. It's overwhelming. Perhaps we, we might feel like it's too negative. But I think everything is about the way that it is framed, isn't it? Have you ever been, and children, you might have done this at school, have you ever been somewhere where they've had a, a, um, like a test for the fire alarms? Yep. Yeah, they, they do a test and, and they get all of the children to go out of their classes if you're at school or if you're in a workplace, everyone has to leave the building so that you can do a fire drill. And it's... It's not much fun, is it? Although you do get a little bit of time out of class, but 
you've got to go and line up on the oval and hearing that fire alarm going, you think, oh, this is annoying, this is depressing. If you had to hear that all the time, it'd be really frustrating, wouldn't it? You think, what's the point of this? But if you've ever been in a place where there's a fire, you'd be really pleased for it. Now, I've never been in that circumstance, but I used to work at a place, and it so happened that on a day when I wasn't there, this was a 42-story skyscraper in the CBD, there was a fire on one of the floors. And the fire alarms went off, and everyone had to go down the fire escapes and go down 20 flights of stairs or 30 flights of stairs. But I'm sure that on that occasion they were thinking, oh, I'm so glad that there was a fire alarm. Particularly, people on my floor that I used to work on, which was the, the 21st floor, and the fire was one floor underneath that. Now, when there's a fire, you're pretty happy that there's a working fire alarm. And sadly, you know, we hear time and time again about people who have lost their lives because in their home there hasn't been a working smoke alarm. And occasionally when you're at home and you hear for some reason maybe you're cooking in the kitchen and, and you've burnt something and there's a bit of smoke and you hear the fire alarm, the smoke alarm go off at home, you think, oh, that's so frustrating and annoying. But if you're asleep in bed and the smoke alarm goes off, that can save your life. This is a matter of life and death. And God's unrelenting roar here in the book of Amos is designed to let us know that it's a matter of life and death, that we listen to him, that we listen to the warnings that he gives and respond to them. There is positive stuff in the book. (laughs) It's not all negative. We want to respond In Amos chapter 5, verse 4, thus says the Lord of the house of Israel, seek me and live. Seek me and live. Yes, there's oracles of judgment here, but there is a way out. Look to God, follow him, seek him. Amos chapter 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live. There's wonderful message of mercy here in the book of Amos. So that gives us a little bit of an idea of the book as a whole. And today we're going to be looking at the first little part of the book and we've entitled this message, Calling for the Nations. Here's an overview of how this breaks down. Chapter 1, verse 1, we have the title of the book and an introduction to who Amos is. Chapter 1, verse 2, the theme of the book. And here we have the Lord roaring from Jerusalem. And then we have 
six oracles, an oracle against Damascus, against Gaza, against Tyre, against Edom, against Ammon, and against Moab. Now, I think it's really helpful for us to to understand and picture this because today's message is called Calling for the Nations because all of these oracles of judgment are directed at nations around Israel. So on a map, and you probably can't see that real well, I I sort of created a little video to try and zoom in on parts, and I have no idea how well this is going to work here um, in church, but we'll see, and I'm just going to sort of explain, and hopefully this will make sense, about how these messages from God are dealing with the nations all around Israel and Judah. So here we go. So there's Israel up the top in pink and Judah down the bottom. And if we zoom in a bit, you'll see there's Samaria, the capital of Israel, and Tekoa, just south of Jerusalem, is where Amos came from. Now, Amos, his ministry is to the pink area, to Israel, and these oracles, one's for Damascus up the top right, one's for Tyre at the top left, then there's one which is for Gaza, which is down there, southwest, and then to the, the nation of Edom, to the nation of Ammon, which is up north, and finally to the nation of Moab. So you can see that what we've got here is a series of oracles to places all around Israel and Judah. Just keep that in mind. Okay. So the big question for today's message, and don't worry, I know that it's been a long point that we've come to this, okay? The rest of the message is not going to go 10 times as long as what we've gone already. Um, The big question for today is how to follow God's call. We're saying that the book of Amos is about God calling to people and here in today's passage God calling to the nations and and so the question for us today is how to follow God's call now this is not one of those sort of logical questions for you to say you know how does that work this is one of those heart questions for me to ask how can I follow God's call and for you to ask how can I follow God's call The big idea of today's passage is that God's heart becomes mine. If we're to follow God's call, then God's heart becomes our heart. In the book of Ezekiel, we're told that when we we become God's people, he gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. A heart that beats with the heartbeat of God. So how does that work out? Well, we're going to look more closely now at this passage from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. And the first thing that we look at 
in chapter 1, verse 1, is this. God's words become mine. Let's read it. Amos 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, this helps us to really understand a a little bit about Amos, not a huge amount, but what we learn from this is that Amos, he was among the shepherds. He, this word's really meaning he was a sheep breeder. He's a a guy that bred sheep. He, He probably had shepherds that worked for him and uh, and we learn a little later in in Amos chapter 7 verse 14 we read I was no prophet nor a prophet's son but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs so he diversified he's a small businessman who diversified his holdings so he wasn't just in sheep but he was also in figs. But he was no one special. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't even the son of a prophet. He was an ordinary guy. He wasn't even from Israel. He was from Judah, the southern kingdom. I don't know if you picked that up in the map, but he was from the southern kingdom of Judah, from a town bit south of Jerusalem. And these were the words that God gave him for Israel. So he had to go from his own town up to Israel to proclaim these words. But the thing I think is really instructive for us is that it starts and it tells us that these are the words of Amos. God's word, and we know it's God's word because throughout the whole of the book we hear, thus says the Lord, says the Lord, declares the Lord, thus says the Lord, over and over again. It's God's word, but it became the words of Amos also. And so if, as people, we are to follow God's call, we need to allow God's words to become our own. How does that work in practice? Well, it works by practicing. I don't know about you, but I have conversations with people all the time and I go away afterwards and I think, oh, I could have said something about Jesus there and I didn't. Do you have that happen? You you think back on a conversation, you think, oh, I wish I'd thought of this to say. I'm hearing one or two yeses or no, but like, give me a nod. Does that happen to you? Yes, yeah. You you want to tell people about Jesus and and you, you have conversations with people and you think, oh, I feel like I should say something and, and you don't know what to say. And you go away afterwards and and five minutes later or ten minutes later you think, oh, I should have said that. Happens to me all the time. You know, the way to get better at that 
is when, when you have that thought in your head, I should say something, just say something. Send up a quick prayer and say something. You might fumble your words. You might think, oh, I could have said that so much better, but at least you said something. Um, I, I know a guy, most of you will know him too. He'd be too embarrassed for me to point him out in our church, but he talks to people all the time about Jesus. I'm sure he didn't get to be like that just by clicking his fingers. It takes practice. I want to be like that person. I didn't ask him if I could say his name, so I won't. But I want to be like that, ready to say a word about Jesus, ready to let God's words be my own. Are you with me? Yeah? Do you have that desire that God's words might be yours? That somehow when you have that conversation with a person at work or at school, that you'll know what to say? Just start giving it a go and you will get better. The more you do it, the more confident you'll become and the more you'll remember those things that you read in your Bible and be able to bring them back to mind and share them with someone else. How can we follow God's call? Let his words become our own. We, um, there's a group of us that have been doing some uh, coaching with, uh, it's through Crossway Baptist Church in Melbourne, and we're being coached about building a discipling culture. We want, as a church, to be able to be discipling others. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Um, Jesus said, you know, go into all the world and make disciples of all people. And we want to get better at that. We, we acknowledge we're not great at it and that we can become better. And Crossway Baptist Church, one of their values is this. Everyone gets to play. It sounds, doesn't even sound Christian, does it? But the point of the, their value, everyone gets to play, is this. It's the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. Amos was an ordinary person. He was a shepherd from Tekoa. He wasn't even from the capital city of Judah. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't anyone special. But he was given the mission of God. Everyone gets to play. We, we don't have to sit on the sidelines and watch other people telling about Jesus we can have a go. We can get on the playing field ourselves and give it a go. I love that. The mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. Will you let God's word become your word? In verse 2, we read, and this is Amos speaking, and he said, these are the words of Amos, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Oop, God's way becomes mine. 
You know, um, it's instructive here that the Lord roars from Zion. Zion is the, the name that they had for Jerusalem. It was the holy city, if you want to put it that way. It was the capital of Judah, but before the two kingdoms split, it was the capital of the whole of Israel, north and south. And Jerusalem was the place where people were meant to worship God. And when the two kingdoms split, Jeroboam I, the first king of the northern kingdom, he said, I can't have all my people going down to Jerusalem to worship God there because then they might turn their eyes to the king in Judah and become disloyal to me, be treasonous to me. So he said, I'm going to set up my own place for people to worship. And he, he made these two golden calves. That sounds dodgy, doesn't it? Does that remind you of what happened when Moses was up the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments and he comes down and, and Aaron and the people had made a golden calf to worship? Well, Jeroboam I in the North Kingdom... He made two golden calves and he placed them at two places so that the people of the northern tribes could worship in the north. Here the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. It's a message to the nations, but it's also, remember, a message to Israel. The, the prophet Amos his ministry was to Israel. And God is saying, Jerusalem is the place where you're meant to worship in their context, right? They were doing the wrong thing by worshipping in the northern kingdoms. Now this comes out in the book of John in chapter 4. Jesus is in Samaria. That's in the north kingdom. And he's at the well in the town of Samaria and a woman comes to draw water in the middle of the day and Jesus' disciples have all gone into the city and he's there and he asks the woman for a drink of water and she starts talking to him. And she discovers by their conversation that he must be a prophet, she thinks. And she asks him this question. She says... We worship on this mountain, but you say, talking about Jews, the, the people of the southern kingdom, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus answers her, and as part of his answer, he says, the time is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If we're to follow God, God's way must become ours. He says we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so when we come to worship, we ought to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised when he was about to leave his disciples that he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would teach them all things. When we come together to worship, 
The Holy Spirit is present because he's with us. He dwells within us and he teaches us all things. How often have you come to church and and you haven't come with the right attitude, you've had an argument with your spouse in the car on the way here, or your children have been getting you frustrated, or how often have you just come and you haven't prepared your heart, and you sit down and you, and you just let everything happen, and you haven't taken the time to pray and to ask God by his Holy Spirit, to work in your heart, to allow you to worship him, to speak through his word. We can't come and worship him on our own terms like the people of Israel setting up our own way of doing it. We need to follow what his word says about worship. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit, in truth. This is really pointing back, in a sense, to the previous chapter, to John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And you certainly can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the spirit. And you can't worship God unless you're born again, unless you have the Holy Spirit. If, if you come and, and worship, if coming to this gathering, you think, I don't really get this, I don't understand it, or I don't get anything out of it. I want to challenge you and encourage you. If worship is to be meaningful for you, you must be born again, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Worship is only meaningful And worship only is worthy if we're worshipping him who is worthy of our worship in spirit and in the truth of his word. Next time you come to worship, I encourage you, take the time to pray before you worship. It, we, we live in different times now. I know you come into worship and there might be music playing and so on. But I remember growing up at the church I went to, for 10 or 15 minutes before the service, you would go into the church sanctuary and it would be quiet and people would have their heads bowed as they were praying that God would meet them, as they were praying that God would speak to them. I think we can learn something from that. And the final point. Now, this is covering all of these oracles to the other nations. I know children get um, restless, and so I'm going to be brief. God's will becomes mine. Has that changed? No, I've lost my connection. Can you just, yeah, thank you. God's will becomes mine. Here's all of these oracles to nations. There's a repeated phrase for three transgressions of Damascus, 
or, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. This is a, a sort of a way of saying they've had so many things that they've done wrong. There's so many sins. You know, it, it's almost like saying, look, it was one... I might hold back my punishment and provide them with mercy. Maybe if it was two, but for three, it doesn't mean literally three. It's, it's more like a sense of, um, it, it's like a sense of, I guess, a, a fullness. <laughs> they, they, they've done so much sinning that they're just full up of sin. For three sins, I will not revoke my punishment. And for four, and four is like, there's so much sin, it's overflowing out of the cup. And God, his judgment is being pronounced against these nations all around Israel, these sinful nations. And there's specific sins mentioned. They, they threshed Gilead and then we, we learn later on in the judgment against Ammon that they ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. This is very graphic, very brutal sins that were committed. They carried, uh, Gaza, they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them to Edom. Tyre, they delivered up a whole people to Edom. Edom pursued his brother with the sword. Um, that's a reference about the fact that Edom was the descendants of Esau. And the descendants of Jacob were the Jewish people, the Israelites. And Edom pursued their brother with the sword. They, they came against their own, you know, their own family with the sword. And Moab burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. There's terrible atrocities that are described here. And it's really important for us to know and appreciate that God hates that sort of behavior. And when we look at our world today and we see on the news about Ukraine and one of the towns that they've reclaimed and they've found these mass graves where there's been obvious signs of people having been tortured. It's really important for us to know God's heart burns with anger against that sort of behavior, against that sinfulness. That's comforting that our God cares about justice. And so then in each of the oracles, God says that he's going to send fire to bring judgment. I can't help but think about the eternal fire of hell and that the fire that is sent in judgment on these places is meant to make us think about eternal punishment as well as punishment here in this earth. What's the application for us? I think if God's heart burns against injustice in our world, then our heart ought to as well.
God's will becomes our own. You, you pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When God's will becomes ours, then we will want to see justice in our world. How, how does that work out for us? How, how can we stand up for the people of the Ukraine? Is there a way we can get involved with a charity that's seeking to help people? Is there a way we can welcome them into Australia? How can we seek to break the inequities in the system of capitalism that feeds our materialistic desires at the expense of women, men and children who are forced to work in sweatshops? Or closer to home, how can we advocate for the indigenous women and children in remote areas who are far more greatly represented in the statistics about rape and child abuse than any non-indigenous person in Australia? How can we stand for justice? How can our will come into line with the will of God who wants to see people turn to him and turn away from sinful deeds and behaviour. If God is concerned for justice, so ought we to be. How can we follow God? Let his heart become our own. Let his words become our words. Let his way become our way. And let his will become our will. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that we might be people who follow after you, in whose hearts you have created a desire for your work and your will and your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.